0: Have you seen the movie Zat? No? Well, what about The Bloodwaters of Dr. Z, or Attack of the Swamp Creatures? Spoiler, they're all the same film, and the alternate titles sadly do not indicate varying degrees of quality. Zat, directed by Don Barton, is one of the poorer examples of the eco-horror wave of films from the 1970s. It really might be one of the worst movies I've ever seen, and I've seen Mindwalk. The plot, such as it is, concerns an outcast, demented biologist in a near-coastal Florida town who transforms himself into an amphibian monster resembling a cross between a walking catfish and a reptilian Sasquatch. He then proceeds to get revenge on those who have wronged him or something like that, and kills a few other people for unexplained reasons. The film left so much on the table theme-wise that equally trashy low-budget movies had no problem, exploring superficially at least, I'm welcoming back Wanda Suttle Duncan for this episode, along with film scholar Steve Jarrett, to discuss the 1971 film Zat, which was filmed in Green Cove Springs, Florida, Wanda's hometown. I'm Christopher Nink, and welcome to the Florida Book Club. I'm joined again by Wanda Duncan, whom you might remember from the first episode this season. Listen to it and read Cracker Gothic. We've also got Steve Jarrett, who teaches film history at Wake Forest University. So, welcome to the Florida Book Club, guys. All right, you excited to talk about this movie?
1: So excited.
0: Oh, who wouldn't be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I figured we'd start by just discussing our general reactions to the film, uh, you know i mean I mean broadly and in maybe the specific contexts in which we first watched it, so um I don't know, Wanda, you have uh a, a, what we might call a more deeper personal connection to uh this film, uh given that your hometown is where it was filmed, so uh I don't know. What are your general impressions of this? And you can obviously summarize anything that you might have said to me
1: before. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, um, my goodness, it's, it's such a terrible movie <laughs> and yet it's, it's so beloved here, you know, people in, in Greencove Springs are s- so proud of that. I mean, it's one of the few things that has put Greencove Springs on the map, um, you know, of anything culturally significant and even then that's a stretch but um it's it's one of those things that's so bad it's it's good you know I I enjoy watching it every once in a while and and um you know getting a big kick out of seeing some familiar sights but you know and and seeing familiar faces faces from my childhood a few people in that in that movie that I remember from my childhood but um I'm not a film critic, um, not a big movie buff, um, but I I know enough to think well. There's not a whole lot of plot going on. Acting is you know not so great, but still it's it it still just makes me laugh. You know I love it, and I and I think a lot of people in Northeast Florida probably feel the same way about it. Okay, were
0: you scared by it when you first saw it? Did you find it frightening?
1: <laughs> no. You know, and I, it, it came out, what, in 1971? I, I don't even know that I, I must have seen it when it first came out, but I don't have a memory of that. Um, I definitely remember coming back around to it and watching it as an adult and not being scared at all. But no, I personally, I, it was, I don't remember it being a scary movie to me
0: yeah these movies are often best watched when you're younger they're more appropriate for audiences that might (laughs) take them at face value I've, i've 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 watched many such nature run amok films or monster movies when i was like 11 12 13 that you know uh have, I still feel like 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 there's some trauma lurking back there, and it's like, okay, I know this is dumb, it's such a stupid movie, but I'm like you still have those atavistic reactions, and sadly, watching this as a forty something adult, I don't think it quite had that effect on me, but um
1: all right all right, Steve, what
0: did you think well i
2: I was vaguely aware of Zot just because it's one of those. One of those titles that comes up in lists of you know worst movies
0: uh, ever made. All this kind of you know, plan uh, among all its various alternate titles. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so yes, and, and so I was I was aware of it in that way, uh, but really wasn't until I talked to Wanda, and found out the connection to her hometown, that I yeah. went and sought it out and and uh, watched it. Um, and there was, it's funny, when, when we were talking about it, they had just come out with, with a special Blu-ray edition of Zot. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that because it had, you know, extras and stuff like that. And, and you know, one thing and another, I never got around to it. And now it's unavailable uh, unless you want to pay $200 on eBay.
1: Oh, Honestly. wow. I have, I have that. So after we hang up, I'm going to go see. Oh, hey, listen, you've you, you you got a gold thing. mine there. That's funny. Uh,
2: so that was that was how I came to it, and it was you know I, I came into it knowing what to expect, and hence I was not disappointed. Uh, you know, it's it's it belongs to a, a category of films that that are not really uh, made by storytellers, but by people who think it would be cool to make a movie. And they actually are able to do it. And it's, you know, it is pretty cool that they, you know, saw it through. It's not an easy thing to make uh, a movie, even a bad movie. It's not that easy to do. And so the fact that, and back then it was even harder. Nowadays you shoot it on your phone, you can edit it on your laptop, and it's still not easy. Uh, back in nineteen early 1970s, uh, just to make a movie was quite an achievement. And uh, so you got to, Respect that a little bit.
0: Yeah, it seems like Don Barton, the director and producer, remained quite proud of that, uh, based on some of the interviews I read. So uh, it's to speak to that, that yeah, it's an accomplishment, regardless of. Absolutely. That.
1: No, um, I,
0: I I like how you put that in a way that it was. They were. It didn't seem like it was made by storytellers. It made me start. Thinking that there is even in Florida, there's a um, a body of a corpus of work, you know, if you will, from the uh, late '60s through the '70s of these ecologically themed horror films, um, you know, Mako, The Jaws of Death, or Stanley, or Empire of the Ants. Uh, had Joan Collins in it. That was a Burt I. Gordon movie. Um, and it it just seems like, yeah, I I, I had I believe I'd mentioned this when I was talking to you guys uh, earlier, but a distinction that I I, I could make between those films and and Zot, I think Steve, you just kind of summed up. I, I I feel like as ludicrous as these other films were, they at least had a, a coherence to them and and sort of, you know, this exposition where you kind of understood who was who and what was happening. I mean, even if these stories were grossly simplistic. And with Zot, I, I feel that if I wasn't generally aware of the film and I hadn't read about it in Wanda's book and talked to her, I think I would have really struggled to figure out what, what it was about or who was who or what was going on. So,
2: Well, it was, it was sort of a, a, a proto-Seinfeld, I guess, in that it was about nothing.
0: <laughs> um, it,
2: was, uh, it really harkens back to the very, very early days of cinema before movies started telling stories. Uh there's a there's a film historian named Tom gunning who refers to that period as quote the cinema of attractions where the the mm. point of of motion pictures was not to tell a story but to present an attraction might be a dancer might be a juggler you know some sort of attraction and it was only later that that movies got around to to telling stories well we have this 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 legacy of that in in films like this where you know uh, often most of the time uh, the the impetus for making a film is you have a story to tell and the movie is the means to the end of telling that story but in the case of zot and other films like it the the motivation is not to tell a story but to make a movie and it's just it's just a cinema of attractions he had he had this really cool monster suit and he's showing it off and that's the point you know there's no real other point beyond that and it's, it's, it's like very early cinema in, in that respect. Uh, and you know the funny thing is we've kind of come back around to the cinema of attractions by way of YouTube. You know there's, ah, yeah. there's lots of storytelling on YouTube, but there's also cat videos. Yeah and that's, that's the Plen cinema of spectacles. attractions
0: just for the sake of spectacle.
2: Exactly. And that's you know I, I see Zot in that tradition, not in a storytelling tradition. So if you're looking for a story, you're applying the wrong grid) and you're <laughs> doomed to be disappointed
0: you know i it's too bad because i felt like the elements were there where it could at least have been a serviceable you know eco horror movie in the vein of these other ones i was talking about i mean th- there were there were elements on the table you know there were there were mm-hmm. I, I mean it it there's no greater reflection on character dynamics on things like the insularity of small southern towns uh ecological symbolism i mean even just respecting nature and i i don't know if for don barton that any of this was intentionally, you know, astute or anything, but it was, um, it was just remarkable that I almost came away viewing nature more with disgust and dread than with, you know, uh, some of the, the, the messages you get in these other movies are like, oh, well, we should respect nature and don't pollute and things like that. And, I, and and you know, even some of the social dynamics, I thought that Rex, you know, the, the character who's seen, he worked for the state, you know, being a, a competent, intelligent black man in this town where, you know, you, there's scenes where he is condescended to and dismissed. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like there was some opportunity there to tie that in maybe to, to the monster, Dr. Leopold, you know, how he was shunned despite his expertise and maybe there'd be some sympathy there. But yeah, like, as you said, Steve, I mean, it, it just, it, it, and those things are not budgetary. It would not have cost them anything to tell a better story, I suppose. But, but as you said, I guess I have to keep coming back to this it's it's it, it, they were not storytell professional storytellers in any sense
2: or, or or even aspirational storytellers it just wasn't on the agenda there was there was something else on the agenda
1: one thing that i have thought about as i watched it and i commented to you all earlier is um the the walking catfish thing you know that that was a news item in the in the late sixties. I remember seeing on the local news on TV this thing about these crazy fish that were walking across highways, and um, so you got that. You had a real invasive species thing going on, and also in, in my memory, that time late sixties and early seventies was when um, we we really became more and more aware of pollution and the ecological impact of things. I remember at that time I was in fifth grade and we, our fifth grade class put together a play about pollution and they mentioned the word pollution in the movie. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm just kind of assuming that in Don Barton's brain, he was pulling together some of the current topics of of that stuff and invasive species ecological concerns you you know anyway that that's one little thought that i had about the whole thing
0: well it was the dawn of the epa too which was founded in 1970 and i I, with empire of the ants specifically this other film that was uh shot around port st Lucie about these giant mutant ants and uh (laughs) this Florida development and everything. It, it's actually worth watching. It's its not significantly better than Zot, but I mean, it's... Uh, but but you, I, I remember when I wrote about that film, I tied it specifically into these very much more public concerns in the 1970s about pollution, about uh, in South Florida, specifically sugar farming and agriculture, and about... You know the Environmental Protection Agency, and how they the, these films of that era were all kind of riding along in that. So yeah, I agree with you, Wanda. I I, I felt that uh, it, it's unfortunate, I guess, that that these issues weren't made more of in the uh, in the film itself. Again, I, I know it, it, it's pretty easy to to use this film as a punching bag for what it it, it wasn't or could have been, but um. Not to keep referencing this film that I don't think either of you have seen, but um, even in Empire of the Ants, it wasn't terribly sophisticated. There's an opening shot of some people in face like, like you know, full biohazard suits dumping barrels with, you know, fallout symbols on them off the coast of Florida, and then it, the ants get into them, and that's it. I mean, it doesn't really comment on pollution per se any more than that, but I would have thought that just you know, the, the, the visceral symbolism of something like that would not have been lost on the audience. So, so yeah, Wanda, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, and, and he certainly, I mean, I think he said in that interview that you sent to me that the walking catfish phenomenon, that, that, that biological invasion really kind of sparked his imagination. I mean, the costume that the doctor wore, I mean, didn't look anything like a catfish, but I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know. If I, I, I guess it was a mutant. I know they used that word so many times in the films.
1: But. Yeah. It's perfect. Perfect word. Because I mean, what, what thing has both fur and scales and, uh, you know, it, it mutants the perfect word for that costume. Also a
2: reference, I guess, to, to, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, I think it was
0: mm, a visual uh, reference in some way. Yeah,
2: meant to to sort of evoke that, but yep. not so much as to to you know prompt litigation. <laughs> uh, and uh, so you know, it, it is a seem, It seems to me a clear point of, of reference. Uh, he's just he's pulling in elements, visual elements from Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, walking catfish from you know news stories about. That and you know this and that, and then kind of tossing it in the pot, and uh, and out comes a, a movie. Uh, but it's not a you know it's not a a French pastry recipe. This is this is goulash.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of curious. This is something about Barton himself, like why he never made another film. I mean, because it, it, there were there were filmmakers of the time that were maybe marginally more talented than him that were able to make. You know, William Grief, who directed Mako, The Jaws of Death. He also directed Stanley, which was about rattlesnakes and set in the Everglades. And uh, there was something, another film about like killer jellyfish on the Florida coast. Like, I mean, he really mined that, that, that was a so real theme. But I mean, it, those movies aren't that much better than Zod. So I'm I'm kind of curious mm-hmm. why he'd never, like he, this film was never followed up. I know in his, the interview shortly before his death, he talked about making a sequel. I mean, 40 some years later, but I. Uh,
2: My guess is. That, I mean, it, he essentially, my understanding, he, he ran a company that made industrial films. And so, you know, at some point, I'm sure it occurred to him, how much harder could it be to make, you know, a, a feature film? And uh, he found out how much harder it it is and just didn't, didn't get bitten by the bug. You know, some people would try it and, and find out how hard it is, but also love it. And they mm. you know, mm-hmm. keep doing it uh i I think he found out how much more difficult it was to do a feature film and didn't love it enough to wanna uh you know bang his head against that brick wall again uh later in life as you say he talked about it but uh, you know you you gotta do more than talk you gotta you, you gotta be obsessed to to make a film uh it's that difficult
0: it's like yeah you you could Picture him saying or, or envision like you based on what you're saying that you know i I went through all this, put the script, did everything, and this film turned out awful <laughs> anyway, you know, despite all the effort I put into it and everything i mean I'm sure he's not the only director or producer to probably have that feeling, but yeah, and and as you said, it was so much harder to get a film made and distributed back then, too, I mean just with the uh you know, maybe he's born a little too early. He probably could have thrived in the uh, mid 2000s. <laughs> some, <laughs> some of these. The other article that you sent me, Wanda, was um, Matt Sorgel's article from Jacksonville.com. And for those of you listening, I'll have I'll have links to all of this stuff on on the uh, the website. But um, where they were showing it in 2009 in Atlanta for these, you know. to to quote the article, real hardcore monster movie loving population. And I, I thought they might, they have to be really hardcore, really willing to pan for gold in a muddy stream. I mean, to, to see this, but it's, it's, I mean, what do you make of sort of this movie specifically? And I would say movies like this more broadly or generally why they have such a fascination despite for the public, despite You know, as we've you know covered here already, not having many of the the sort of aesthetic or or artistic features or or achievements that we would you know associate with beloved films.
2: Well, I think it's it's a lot of it is has to do with meeting meeting these films where they are, uh, because you know genre films in general, uh, people go for genre films if they're if they want to just want to make a movie. Uh, Because there's a formula already there that they can work with. Uh, Genre films are about, you know, conventions, plot conventions, character conventions, and so on. And some people can take those elements and make something really good out of them. But it's also possible to take those elements and just not do anything creative with them and turn out something very pedestrian. Uh, And I think that's, a lot of times that's done, and that's why genre films get a bad reputation um but then there are also you've got the ones where they do make a work of art out of it and then there's some where they just take the elements and they and they make a really really cool essentially amusement park ride out of it if you're looking for more than that you're going to be disappointed but that can be enough then you get to another level where it's basically a vanity project and i think that's where zot is Mm. um and so it's a question as a as a viewer of coming to it and meeting it where it is and not not raising your expectations beyond that and for audiences who are ready for it at whatever level it may be, they can find entertainment value in it um you know, this this whole question of, of you know, the worst movie ever made, and people talk about Plan 9 from outer space. Sometimes you hear Zot <laughs> mentioned. Uh, but it's a friend of mine said something once that I never forgot. We were, you know, we were talk, having one of these conversations. What is the worst movie ever made? Is it Plan 9 from outer space? And uh, first of all, he said, No, That uh, Plan 9 is not the worst. Zot is not the worst. He said, I don't know what. The worst movie ever made is, but I know one thing about the worst movie ever made, and that is, you would not be able to sit through it. You know, Plan 9 from Outer Space has entertainment value, you know, at a a low level to be sure. Zot has entertainment value, proven by the fact that people will, you know, buy tickets and go to see it. There's there's entertainment value there. If there's any entertainment value at any level, it's not the worst movie
0: ever made. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, mind walk. That's the worst movie ever made. Sam, Waterston, <laughs> very unfortunate film from Sam Waterston. So there, I'll I'll, I'll do a favor for you that uh, and and throw that out there. <laughs> and it was trying to be something too. So I think that I think you have to take that into consideration as well.
2: Yes, if it aims higher than it and 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 then fails, you know, it's not aiming very high.
0: No, no. Um, Wanda, I was going to ask you too. I mean. In terms of like cultural memory, I mean, how is this film viewed I, I, in Green Cove Springs? I mean, in, in terms of, as I said, like remembrance or cultural heritage or anything like that. I mean, I, I understand that like maybe younger people in the town maybe don't realize, you know, that they have this, this artifact or something that's associated with their town. But I mean, what, what legacy do you think it's left in, in your hometown?
1: Yeah, I, there's nothing left Physically, I mean, that the re the re showing of it, re screening of it in 2012 is the last time I'm aware that that movie was shown. And, and since then, the old theater has converted, been purchased and, and converted into an event venue. So it no longer functions as a movie theater. We don't have a theater mm-hmm. in town anymore. Um, so, as far as a true, you know, physical, visible, uh presence of that movie in town, 2012 is the last time. Um I occasionally it, it it gets brought up on like the Facebook groups of people who belong to either cove Springs Facebook group or, you know, the residents of this area. Um some of the you know some some discussion of it gets popped up because there have been some other films um that that were uh, filmed here in Green Cove, apparently. Um, the and I'm I'm not I'm not going to be able to pull up the names, but the, there was one film at Camp Blanding, I think, in the 90s. You know, that's an army camp uh, west of town. And um, anyway, so there, there's a little sprinkling of of some of that film stuff that goes on, but there's no lasting legacy anything that you could physically point to, which is kind of sad. Um, you know, I almost sort of wish we had that costume. (laughs) It'd be great to have that costume costume down here somewhere, you know, in the museum or something so people could could see it. Um that it but like I said before, it's still sort of this sweet memory for a lot of people because it was just that little spark after the town had just had nothing for decades after the uh, Navy pulled out of the you know closed the naval base here, the town just kind of declined economically and there just there wasn't a whole lot going on and then to have this film this movie filmed here was a highlight you know that was a big deal for people around here at that time um, but yeah not nothing that I can think of right now that's you know that would indicate or you know no monument <laughs> <laughs> plaque or it's not
0: there aren't seen like uh, uh shooting locations that are on the register exactly. of historic places or anything exactly i
1: mean and i it, it's of course i i watched it again yesterday just to refresh my memory and um you know there that there are houses i recognize in there there's there's an area around the park the city park that you can still say oh yeah there's the city park those buildings aren't there anymore but there's the spring run and there's the edge of the river and um so it's 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 just fun and that's what happened that that night when they did the the rescreening it was in december 2012 and um the the movie theater that night was not packed packed but there was a really nice sized audience in the theater and it was so much fun to watch that movie on a big screen surrounded by people from green coast for, you know, we just mm-hmm. had the, it was like a party. We had the best time. It was a party atmosphere. We all, it was just this big fun group activity. And I, you know, like Steve said, it, it can be the worst movie ever because my goodness, we all had such a good time watching it that, that night. And I still, this day I, I enjoy watching it, you know, it's kind of ridiculous, but I like it anyway. <laughs>
0: No, I, I, I completely agree that entertainment value and artistic merit, uh, they don't, they can be sort of exclusive of each other in, in some cases too. I think, yeah, when we talk about worst or best, you know, those are not always the same thing as like in our personal beliefs, favorite or least favorite, you know, I, I try to use that distinction with my students. It's like, you know, something can be good, but not necessarily enjoyable and, and vice versa. So, uh, and something can be poorly done and yet be enjoyable, as we've seen. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's a really important distinction, I think, between people, uh, you know, what do you think is the, is the best of whatever and what, do you, what is your favorite? Mm-hmm. Two very different things that might overlap, but probably won't.
0: No, not necessarily. Even in my own literary tastes, sometimes those things don't overlap.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, there's plenty of novels I would be willing to admit are greater literary accomplishments than the novels that I personally Consider my favorites. So, sure. All right. So, to wrap up, I would say, what did you like? I, uh, this is this is sort of a loaded question, I guess, and it may have been we may have answered it to some degree already. But what did you like best about this film? Because I. I honestly liked some of the, the underwater, uh, cinematography. I think a lot of it of the reef was probably stock footage, but, um, yeah. I did like some of the, the, the underwater filming. I, I actually found myself noting that uh, quite a bit. I know that's a very,
1: very specific attribute of the film, but I'm, I'm curious, what did you like best about that? Um, I, for me, I mean, that just generally it's just watching and seeing old, Um, parts of my hometown from my childhood. That's very generic and kind of a bland answer, but that's my favorite thing is to sit there and go, oh, oh, there's Mayhew's Drugstore. You know, I just I love that. I'm I'm sitting there watching it just for those little elements. Gotcha.
0: Steve?
2: I got to go with the monster costume. uh, (laughs) They clearly had such a good time, you know, making that thing uh and it's it's uh that's the thing that translates i I think particularly a a film sort of at at this level of ambition is is the the fun that the filmmakers had uh coming through in the in the finished product um and and i i i think it's pretty clear that they had a they had a blast putting that costume together and (laughs) I mean, you know, how much of the film is devoted to showing it off? I mean, let's be honest. Um yeah, know, that's
1: a good know,
0: point. I didn't. Think
2: <clears throat> you don't necessarily need when it's the, not Jaws. It, it, you don't keep if, it. Yes, the if, if the if the monster is walking from point A to point B, we don't necessarily see need to see every step of the way. But uh, boy, it's panning with the entire way, uh, even to the point where. <laughs> where uh, you know, clearly, uh, the, whoever was in that suit didn't have very good visibility. And, and there's at least two or three scenes where you can see him trip over something on the set. Uh, uh, you know, just uh, gamely trying to get from point A to point B in that darn costume. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it seems to me they, they that that's where they invested a lot of their effort and had a lot of their fun was in putting that thing together. So uh, That's the most fun, I think, to me
1: the The actor, the man who who wore the costume, and I don't know his name, but apparently he was very tall. He was like six five or so. He was a very very tall man. And I know at that screening, um, it was mentioned that was so much admiration and love for this man who wore the costume because apparently he was he had a wonderful personality, and they just felt like they put him through so much lugging that thing around. There there was a lot of love shown or that man who wore that costume.
0: Yeah, he had to have been a nice guy or he wouldn't have finished the film. <laughs> and, and, and he got to show off none of it. None of the charisma of his personality came through the right in role.
1: Yeah, I had to hide it at all. I put a, I put a call out uh, the other day to these Facebook groups and said, if anybody has any uh, Zach memories they want to get to me, You know, send them to me right quick. And I got two, what I thought were great little anecdotes.
0: Oh, please share them.
1: If I can give those to you. One is um, uh, actually a a girlfriend of mine um, wrote me immediately. And she said, that movie was such a big deal, you know, in this town that they named their two German shepherds, Zat 1 and Zat 2. (laughs) Jeez. And you know, what greater honor than to name your dog after a movie. I, I just loved that. I, in fact, I think I remember those dogs, too. Um, and the second, second anecdote I got, another terrific thing, is um, actually a, a, removed one, a removed cousin of mine. Um, her mother's house is the one that was used for the scene of the, the two young people on the porch swing that get slashed to death one something. of the
0: most incoherent scenes in the film but yes <laughs>
1: I, I think they both got slashed to death or maybe just the boy did but anyway
0: no rhyme I, or reason to that scene at all yes. but anyway sorry go ahead
1: <laughs> her her mother was paid 20 dollars for the use of the port for that scene and oh wow that too
0: she should put a little plaque up there or something. That's
1: exactly what the plaque back, you know, that, that house is still there. Or that porch would be a great place to put the costume.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know what, Steve, you sort of answered my question, because you know, I was wondering, I was like, why are these scenes so, these expository scenes that really aren't adding anything to the story that we're just mm-hmm. watching? And I thought maybe it was just to fill up time. But, yeah, I guess showing off the suit, <laughs> probably. a uh, Yeah. You
2: know. I, I mean, there are other scenes, you know, even in the very beginning. Before he turns himself into the creature, uh, yeah, the you dials know,
0: we, I mean, It's like we're not really getting anything.
2: You know, we got to watch him walk up every step of, you know, um, so it's, it's that, but that's, you know, that's that technique works in an industrial film, and that's what these folks knew. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, oh, you know, yeah, that's true. You could, you could see his, his, his legacy or his, his, the influence of, of making these films as a uh, sure, yeah, a bearing on I mean, it,
2: it looks like a film made by somebody who you know, their day job is making industrial films.
0: Well, okay. Well, thank you guys very much. Wanda Duncan, Steve Jarrett. Um, If you want to learn more about Green Cove Springs, uh, listen to episode one from this season and read Cracker Gothic by Wanda Duncan. You will, uh, I, 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 um, uh, all the ways in which the town has changed since the early seventies when uh, (laughs) that was filmed, although that is not what it's about, but you will discover that so uh steve jarrett wanda duncan you're members of the florida book club great right. cool thank you. thanks wanda you were already a member but you
1: know. yeah i was yeah, I'm, I'm a member of eritas
0: <laughs> thank you for attending this meeting of the florida book club there are some links to interviews and other analyses so to speak of zat on our website this wraps up season three of florida book club thanks again for sticking with us this far Big props again to my brother John for pulling all the strings behind the scenes to make this happen. It's seriously been 75% him. We'll see you somewhere down the beach in a few months, hopefully one that's free of red tide. Take care.